from Relay FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 57, recorded November the 16th, 2023, brought to you by Memberful. I am your master of ceremonies, Jason Snell, and with me, as always, is Julia Alexander, director of strategy at Parrot Analytics and a columnist at Puck News. Julia, how are you doing? Good, Jason. How are you? Happy almost Thanksgiving. Happy almost or just past and almost Thanksgiving. <laughs> don't forget our Canadian friends who already who do it early. They just do it early. You, yes. You know, it's it's harvest comes earlier in Canada. I love it. I always love that there's a Canadian Thanksgiving that I don't even know is happening. And then it happens. I'm like what? Uh, I think it's the it's saner option. I'll, I'll let you know, because I think it happens in mid-October mm-hmm. and it's great because then you have a month, you'll actually have two months until, until Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, I know. The U.S. Thanksgiving is basically a kickoff into Maelstrom. Yes, yeah, And it's, it's great, but it's it's a lot. Sprint to the end. And the Canadian Thanksgiving is also on a Monday. Is that right? Yeah, we are just a bunch of crazy folks up north, and I love that for I mean, us. It means you can't have a Black Friday because it's on a Monday. No. You'd need like a Black Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and that's not acceptable. We also do our Black Friday on the day after Christmas. It's called Boxing Day. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Fine. It's fantastic. Boxing Day. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Um, all right. We're, we're here to talk about, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff, but we're mostly going to talk about Disney and Hulu. And there are a bunch of angles here, but the news story is that Bob Iger and and Disney made their declaration that they're going to buy out Comcast's share of Hulu, Mm -hmm. which we all knew was probably going to happen. And it's kind of a non-announcement in a way, because all they did was say that they'll buy it for the floor price or whatever the um, neutral arbiter decides is above that which it'll totally be above that and then they'll pay it whatever it is so it's a closing of the 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 books of this Mm -hmm. that's going to happen it hasn't happened yet but it will happen but it does i think officially kick off the speculation season for us and everyone else about now that it's official what is disney's long-term strategy for hulu i know we've talked about it on this podcast since the very beginning, but I feel like it, and I know you wrote about it, it feels more real now. And they've talked Mm -hmm. about, Iger talked about not licensing their crown jewels to Netflix, although doing some licensing. Um, And then you wrote about how Hulu is already pretty big in the US. It's like two thirds the size of Netflix. So it's not, it's, there's some real potential. I have been thinking about this in prepping for this episode and thinking to myself, you know, all this doom and gloom around Disney and Bob Iger and all of this, who other than Netflix, who's better positioned to be a real player worldwide as a as a a volume supplier on a streaming service? Who other than Netflix, who is better positioned than Disney at this point? Precisely. The, the the interesting thing that's coming up, right, is so first of all, we have to give Disney credit. They released what can only be described as the most confusing press release around this, <laughs> this announcement, right? They basically right. said, we've agreed to pay the bare minimum that we have agreed for years legally yeah. to, 
have to pay Comcast. Not news at all. Not news. But um, eventually we will, if there ends up being these intermediate uh, intermediary uh, guys coming in, the bankers, and saying you owe a little bit more, we will pay that out. We will take full control of Hulu. So the question is, like, what does that mean? Right. For people on the consumer side, so if you're listening to this and you're like, I have Hulu, I have Disney Plus, like, what does that mean for me? Not a lot. Right. The biggest thing is going to be the bundle that they're going to create. And, and the bundle, you know, I imagine will kind of look like what Star looks like internationally on Disney yeah. Plus. So you've got a tile and then depending on your watch habits, you know, on your Disney Plus homepage, once you open it up, there might be, you know, continue watching the show you're watching on Star, which is Hulu here. So that's that kind of integration. It's not necessarily a bundle in the sense of like you are getting a new discount. You are paying for the bundle, but now it'll be within one app. And so the question that comes up over and over again is like, what does this mean for consumers? And then what is it really worth? And and I think the consumer question we, we just kind of addressed, but what is it worth is a really fun one to think about because it, that's different than what is the value of it. The value of it is what the bankers are spending their time thinking about. You know, what is the actual potential revenue contribution and profit margin potential on this uh, product if Disney takes full control of it? And therefore, what should they owe uh, Comcast? That is where very strong investment bankers and their analysts are going to come in and figure that out. What is Hulu's worth to Disney is a strategic question. And I think where it really has some long term potential is in a multifaceted play. So if I'm Disney, I realize two things. I realize that I have a very large library that I do not need to hold on to because the vast majority of that content is going unseen and I can license it out to a Netflix or a Warner Brothers Discovery or an Amazon, potentially an Apple down the road, uh, and really just, just generate some immediate cash flow. On the other side of the equation, what I have within a Disney Plus Hulu bundle and a unified app is the ability to say, I think the vast majority of my customers are also customers on a Netflix or an Amazon Prime video or whatever it may be. And the reason that this is important is because if I'm Disney, I need to invest in new original content, both on the branded side. So you know, we think about Star Wars, but also on the general entertainment and, and prestige side and looking at kind of new procedurals and figuring that out. And I also want to bring some of that Netflix audience back to the Hulu uh, Disney Plus audience. Disney Plus operates as a niche platform, right? You oh, you, you seek it out. You go to it when you need something. Mm-hmm. And so you you open up the app to go watch the new Marvel show, whatever, whatever it might be, Loki. Hulu is the closest you get to replacing the habitual, I'm going to open Netflix to find something. There's a lot of great yeah. film and a lot of great uh, television on Hulu, but people are habitually programmed to go to Netflix. What a lot of these companies have done is said, we're going to give you our license fare because Netflix is willing to, to, to pay for it. And then Netflix gets to go. Now we're going to turn your suits into a hit. We're going to turn your ugly buddy into a hit. And so it's really great for us. If Disney and companies like Warner Brothers Discovery, but we're talking about Disney, if Disney's really smart, there's a way of saying, I understand that this content is probably going to perform better on Netflix than it might on Hulu because of the scale. But I also think if I play my cards right, I can bring that audience back to Hulu if they don't finish watching in time and I bring it back. And I can also plan my future slate around the way that we're looking at some of these licensing deals and the audience that we're bringing in. And then how do we then lure them back in and keep them engaged with some new content like the bear or whatever it might, whatever it might be. And so I think the strategic worth of Hulu is basically as a net, right? It is the ability to say, 
We're going to catch these subscribers who are not churning. I don't think they're canceling. And I also don't think that they're converting an audience. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, I think the suits, the new suits show that they're doing for Peacock does not make a lot of sense. I think that audience that might be interested in suits, if it wasn't on Netflix, is not necessarily going to convert into being a paid subscriber of a new streaming service. Mm. But I imagine that the vast, or not the vast majority, but a significant portion of the Netflix audience of subscriber base in the US specifically has either a Disney Plus or a Hulu subscription. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, how do we disengage that audience from Netflix and engage them within Hulu and Disney Plus? So that way they're spending more time with us instead of going to Netflix. And how do we use our license? strategy to kind of make that that play work a little bit better so that's kind of the worth that i see within the combined hulu um disney as disney plus asset and kind of owning hulu it really becomes this ability to kind of um create a a consistent almost steady heartbeat kind of a steady drum for a lot of their streaming initiatives and of course you bring espn and down the road and see how that looks but um and then curious what you're thinking i want i want to underline something you just said this idea that disney is a net because i think um i really like when you wrote about this i'll put a link in the show notes to the the puck piece that you wrote about the real price tag of hulu because it's not what they say it is but it is this interesting opportunity for them the net this idea that the goal here is to keep it's to keep your customers using your product and that serves two purposes it serves the purpose of increasing their perceived value right uh, it, it if if i'm watching something on disney plus or hulu and i go to something else on disney plus or hulu i'm in your ecosystem and i don't press in my case i have an apple tv press the button that takes me out to the apps and then go over to netflix i stay in the one app and i just go from place to place to place and i i never go to netflix well first off that's good for disney plus and hulu and then secondarily it is in the long run good because you're taking time away from Netflix, which means you are very slowly devaluing Netflix. Not like people are necessarily going to cancel their Netflix and just go to Hulu, but right. it's a long game, right? You want to build up your value, your mind share, your time spent. And because there is a, a zero sum aspect of that, you are now, you know, in two years when they look at like, oh, I'm paying for Hulu, Disney, and I'm playing for Netflix. Maybe they say, oh, I use them both. Or I actually use Hulu more than Netflix. And you've changed the value there. And so if they do choose to churn, which they probably won't, but if they do, you've got an advantage. You've made yourself harder to to cancel. And that's in the long run, that's how you compete with Netflix is just become more valuable to the the subscriber. Get have them spend more time with you. That's how you accumulate that value. And so catching them. And that, that's the value we've talked about before. You watch something on Disney Plus right now, all they can do is really recommend, like, I'll watch a Marvel thing on Disney Plus, And they're like, I don't know, here's a Marvel movie you've already seen. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. But if you can say, oh, but have you seen legion or have you seen Fargo or something else that's from the the Hulu side? you can keep me. You're more likely to keep me. And that's powerful. Exactly. And then there's this inherent question. And what Jason is really talking about, too, is this idea of the value perception. I think the perception is a core part of this. And by that, I mean the literal ability to be perceived. And 
by bringing some of that Hulu content, you know, Jason and I talk a lot about on this podcast how well we love our, our different VMVPDs and I love we YouTube do. TV. And part of the reason I love YouTube TV is because it updates throughout the day based on my habits. And so when I turn on my YouTube TV in the morning or open YouTube TV, I never know the right term for it, vernacular. But if I open my YouTube TV app in the morning, it serves me Squawk Box on CNBC because it knows that's what I want. When I open it throughout the, the middle of the day, it, it goes to CNN because it knows that that's what I want. When I open it typically at night, it's it's going to NFL football or it's going to an NHL game because it knows that's what I'm looking for. So there's this, I, there's this ability for me to actually perceive the content I am looking for without having to look it up. And that is what Disney Plus is missing without the Hulu integration. And the other aspect of this, you know, is that it's not like Netflix necessarily has the better quality entertainment. A lot of what Netflix offers comes from the Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery, Paramount, and NBC Universal world. Like, yeah, it, it's a lot of license sure. fair. So it's not that it is better. They are just naturally, or not naturally, they have built a, a, a better system mm-hmm. of bringing that content specifically to consumers at an easy level. So that way, the perception, the literal ability to perceive the type of content that they would be interested in on top of new content content creates a habitual consumer in the way that the TV guide used to. And we used to scroll through it. It was the, you know, remember that TV channel guide? That was the greatest thing in the world. You would scroll through it. And, oh my God, there's all the things <laughs> I can watch. It, on, the, the, the misconception, and Jason and I have spoken about this before, the misconception with Disney Plus from Wall Street, from analysts, from, from many people, and this is in part because this is how Disney presented Disney Plus, is that it was a general entertainment platform when it was a niche platform. It was yeah. it, it served a niche. And so that was great. And But uh, the, the, the thing with serving a niche is that it is reliant on consistency, quality, and hyper interest. And so by that nature, you cannot scale at the same level that you're going to scale a product that uh, requires more accessibility, and and and, uh, um, wa- and appeals to a wider base. That's just naturally how it goes. You can apply this to digital media. You can apply it to streaming. You can apply, you can apply it to a lot. And so within that niche market, the best that you can do in terms of generating stronger revenue and then and then increasing your profit margins is by increasing the price of access to Disney Plus, which most families would pay for, and most Marvel fans and most Star Wars fans, they will do that. But what Disney is saying to investors and shareholders is that we have a super scalable product. The only way that you have a super scalable product is by appealing to those broader audiences. And that is where Hulu comes in. And so I think there is a misconception that Hulu is second to Netflix in terms of quality of entertainment, because that is almost the way that Disney has positioned it for many years. And now that it is being integrated into Disney Plus, which is the crown jewel of Disney, there is this idea that the quality is just as strong and that it can be habitual on top uh, for, for a broader audience, as well as being habitual for a niche audience. And I think that is going to take a lot of strategic programming decisions in terms of scheduling, in terms of the type of programming acquired, in terms of the type of programming that you license to a Netflix or Amazon in order to take advantage of their scale. That's a marketing play. It's, it is a play to kind of reel customers back over to Disney and Hulu um, in a way that, that, that is difficult to do. It is a, it is a tightrope to, to walk. Um, but that is the best outcome that you're going to get with Hulu as, because the other thing that, you know, we need to talk about this with, with the Netflix comparison is that these are two vastly different companies in terms of their positioning. Disney is still not profitable on streaming. It is still in the red. Furthermore, Disney has cash flow, but a, a big chunk of their, I think it's about 13 or $14 billion in free cash flow, is about to go to Hulu, right? So they've got money set aside for it, but they're going to be buying Hulu out. Netflix is about to end the year probably with about 6.5 to 6.8 
billion dollars in free cash flow, which is almost almost three x what they projected at the beginning of the year, and that now positions Netflix to say, okay, where can we invest in that might actually uh, throw another stone in our competitors' way? So if I'm Disney, not only am I thinking about all right, well, I've got to be smart with how I integrate my Hulu into Disney Plus. I've got to be smart about how I'm spending my money. I'm also a parks business. I'm looking at the decline of uh, of linear media. I'm going to spend a bunch of money on my ESPN OTT app. But now I need to be careful with the way that I'm licensing to Netflix and Amazon. And, and while the key performance indicators for my team, my distribution team, is how much money they can generate on some of these titles, the other strategic question I need to be asking is how much of a leg up am I willing to give Netflix without knowing how many of those customers I'm going to reel back into Disney Plus and Hulu without having to invest an insane amount of money in original content because I'm actually declining that spend as well. And so it's, it's, it's a really difficult question. That it's, it's a huge question that nobody has the answer to, but I do think creating a literal perception uh, ability for people to see what they have as opposed to having to think and go seek out content by opening up another app. And especially when that app is not habitual the way Netflix is, will help Disney in the long run. Yeah, it is. It's hard to it's hard to unseat the leader and Netflix is the leader. At the same time, it gets really easy to um, imagine that the leader will be unassailable. And will always be the leader. And and that's not, you've got to, that's not true either, right? Like Netflix is not going to be number one forever, or at least certainly going to be number one forever. Competition is going to emerge. And thinking about what Disney has, I I think that Disney's got the best chance to be a real competitor. But you're right. One of the ways we have to think about it, and in the U.S., this has been more of a challenge than, of course, in other countries where the star content has been rolled in and you're basically getting a big chunk of what is Hulu um, in your Disney app already. But in the U.S., it is funny to to flip it over and think, well, no, Disney is a niche player. It's it's families and certain franchises. And Hulu is sort of for everybody. And I know we got some uh, some listener questions about this too that are basically like, well, are they going to be one app? Will the other app go away? Or is there going to be only one subscription? I think what's interesting about it is to think about how, and I'm curious if you if you think this too, the mm-hmm. idea that mm-hmm. I sort of feel like, well, what compete what is going to compete with Netflix is the Disney Hulu bundle, which is right. going to be a competitive price that will compete with Netflix's price. And the difference is that Disney has the ability to say. If you don't have kids, if you don't care about Star Wars and Marvel, you can save a little, not a lot, but a little money and just do Hulu. And if you do care about that and you don't care about the rest of the world, okay, you could just buy Disney Plus and you'll save a little money. But already we're at the point where they, if you're at all interested in both, they make so much more sense together because there is a real discount in bundling them together. And then sports is another piece and you will right. pay extra for sports. But um, it, it, so if it helps you to think about it, imagine that it is one service, which is the, the, I, forget, I think they call it the duo or something. There's a yeah. name for that bundle, but it's basically, <laughs> there's a, there's a Disney Hulu bundle in the U S and that is the thing that competes with Netflix. And it's, it's a, you know, okay, competitive now and can get better. I think that on on the originals front, uh, it's more than competitive with Netflix. I think some of my favorite stuff that I've watched in the last year has been on Hulu. 
actually. Yeah. So there's because of especially Same. the FX content, right? Like there's so much good stuff there. Um, I've been watching Welcome to Wrexham and Letterkenny is 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 so wrapping good. up, and like there's so Shorzy. much. Only, yeah, only murders in the building. There's so much good stuff there. Fargo is coming back, right? Like, there's all this stuff there. So they have think the of Neon it. Partnership. So yeah. I, I just watched uh, How to Blow Up a, a Pipeline. Great movie. So it's just, think of it that way. Think of the bundle. If you're having trouble picturing it, think of that bundle as like, that's their Netflix. That's their combo. And I do think that because it's a bundle, they're going to probably, for as long as they can, have two separate apps, but I think that they will be more and more alike over time because yeah. in the end, you're not going to want to build two apps. And in the end, it I, I think it's inevitable that that if they keep up with the strategy, there will only be one app with all the content in it. And depending, you'll see different things based on what your subscription is for. But in the short term, especially since they, you know, that Hulu Plus live TV uh, that is so complicated that like that's never going to be in the Disney app. I think in the long run, the Hulu app will just be the live TV app if they keep that service going. And then all the other content will move into what is now the Disney app. But like, that's not the point. The point is they're going to get it all in one mixture and think of the bundle as the service. And then you kind of got it. And then ESPN will be its own pay a lot of money to watch sports thing that happens. Also, look, most companies, there's there's two, it's, we've got a question here. This is what Jason was referencing from Brett, um, Brett. Hovencotter, or Hovencotter. Um, hope I said your name right, Brett. Um, and, and there's a, he's got a part of this question which says, will there no longer be an option to describe to Disney Plus without Hulu and vice versa? Most companies will accept money whatever way you want to give them money. Mm-hmm. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it as long as the cost of, of that product and the operation of that product do not outstrip the revenue that that product is bringing in right like that's business 101 so the question is how long do you keep these two platforms going if you're spending double the ad tech money or double the the engineering money double the marketing money like like when you're kind of looking at it across the board at what point do you say we're going to fold it in the issue with doing that immediately is that you will increase your churn rate because there are just going to be yeah. some customers who are like, I don't want access to this. I would just rather not have it. So I'm going to get rid of it. Right. You're raising um, my and- price, essentially. So I'm going to just bail out here instead. Exactly. And you can double your advertising inventory, right? You can say we've got ads that are on Disney Plus that reach a specific audience. We have ads that are on Hulu that reach a specific audience. You can create a bundle, a package of of ads that you want to sell to us, and we'll place them on both our platforms, like whatever it might be. But when so so there there it's it doesn't make any sense to get rid of the products themselves at this point, um, and especially when. You know, we kind of look at what we're seeing with Discovery and uh, HBO Max, now Max, when on the most recent earnings, they did see some uh, churning customers from those who are kind of leaving the Dis- the Discovery Plus app and not necessarily going to the Max app. So there's a lot of stuff that comes with bundling where you can only learn via experimentation or from what's happening with your competitors. Right. And so I think it's one of those things where, listen, we're going to it's not going to be a huge increase in cost to us to keep maintaining these two platforms the way that we have been doing it. So we're going to continue doing it. Eventually, we'll see where it goes. Once they reach a certain point of critical mass, they might decide we're going to kind of move into a different direction. The question that I'm interested in, because they haven't really talked about this or if they have, I, I've totally missed it. Um, and maybe they have. But part of the reason I would argue if I was Disney is we can't bring the Hulu branding internationally to uh, in replacing Star is because it automatically ups the value of Hulu. And so therefore I have to pay Comcast more money. 
But once I pay Comcast the money, does it make more sense for me to rebrand Star into Hulu? Like, is there a point where you say this is now our company, our fully owned thing? We're trying to merge this together. Maybe the future service of Disney Plus and Hulu will just be Disney Plus. But until then, it doesn't make any sense to have Star and Hulu be separate apps. Or Mm -hmm. is Star just such a good brand internationally at this point that you just leave it alone? I think that is one that has very limited impact in terms of direct impact on revenue but i do think it's interesting to see if they decide to make that move right after the deal is done and the only reason i can think of that they won't do it is that i imagine it immediately opens them up to potential lawsuit from comcast and so they might leave it alone but that's kind of where i'm looking at i'm like just in a petty gossipy way i'm like hmm, what do you do with the branding of this once you finally own it yeah it's a good question because the star is out there which comes from hot star which was big in india uh, which had a big, uh, it, it had a cricket deal that I think it doesn't have anymore. Um, They're trying to sell the business. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a lot going on here. I, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that in the end, Hulu becomes the brand worldwide and there's a Disney and Disney recedes back to being a family friendly content brand inside it. I think that that is where you might even have like you do. I mean, because if you think about Disney Plus, what are the tiles in Disney Plus? One of them is Disney. There was Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, National Geographic, right? Like Disney is inside Disney, which is a little weird, right? But it's open to them. If they feel that Hulu ultimately is a better general entertainment, like you said, consumer brand than Disney Plus, and it might be that and and Star maybe internationally or maybe it's Hulu uh, and they'll introduce that as a concept. Certainly, it's a possibility. They got a lot. I mean, you inherit what you inherit. They inherit this legacy mess. Uh, They've got a lot of assets. Uh, There's a lot of possibility here. I think it will be. Yeah. And to answer Brett's point. Yeah, maybe at some point, but they're going to they're going to make it like as long as you've got people who are in your ecosystem, uh, if they don't want to have the the dual bundle. I guess you just sort of let them for until it becomes like technically difficult. And then you and even then you can afford to say, look, we're going to give you the whole thing for a year for the price that you paid. And then you'll have to pay the new price and there'll still be some churn. But like if you can put it all together and prove that 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 it's got value, um, you know, maybe they'll they'll drop the individual bundle eventually. Um, and then ESPN, as somebody who pays for the the trio or whatever they call it, where I'm also getting ESPN Plus, I think it'll be interesting <laughs> to see their their ESPN choice because that feels very much like, you know, a a, a separate brand with an a, a separate business that will cost uh, more money. Although again, you can maybe yeah. save in a bundle in order to do that over the top ESPN that will just be a whole bunch of um, live sports do, stuff. Do you know what I I hope they fix? I don't know if you run into this issue with your ESPN Plus, Hulu, Disney Plus logins, mm-hmm. but it uh, I I can already tell from Jason's mm-hmm, mm, it, it it the I'm amount of times. Doing. This it logs you out and then is like authenticate yourself. And and just that experience, I'm like, Disney, please, please, if you like, please fix this. You know, the problem and this is actually going to be one of the things that's fixed by by them finally going over the top with ESPN is that they have content that's a blend of content you pay you pay for as an ESPN plus member and content you have to pay for through a cable or uh, over the top provider. Um, and so you end up in lots of really weird login states where you're logged in to your ESPN Plus subscription. But in my case for Fubo, it'll be like, oh, but I 
are you on Fubo? And I'm like, I am. You th- you know I am. It's like, I'm not sure. And I end up having to log out of everything and log back in. And the beauty of the over-the-top ESPN package will be, in part, they control the login and they don't right. need to worry about a partner. But currently, they've got this weird bifurcated thing where there's some content you can only see if you're also paying for cable. <laughs> they need to i mean again this is one of the great things about that product being improved by no longer being an add-on to cable is that it'll just be a straight up product and they can build it that way so agreed we'll see it's um it's all really fascinating i just it's funny that we, i've gone back and forth when we talk about it and i just I, i'm not saying they will succeed and i'm not saying that disney doesn't have issues certainly there are lots of issues but i look at the fundamentals of like what they've got and i look at the landscape about who they're up against and i think who you know again like i said at the beginning hard to see somebody better positioned right now to take on netflix than disney i know that warner brothers discovery is out there and i know that comcast nbc universal is out there there are also lots of conversations about how ultimately those two will probably get together which is weird but it could happen um and that would be a player too right and and that may be where we end up is like three big players but um but disney you know with thanks to the content that's in hulu they are pretty well positioned and bob Iger just has to you know he's got to have to figure out how to navigate the cash flow issues and paying for all of Hulu and what the branding issues are and what the integration is. And it's like, it's not going to be easy. Like you said on Twitter, uh, challenging, <laughs> but fun to watch. Challenging, but fun is literally how I respond to just in case anybody wants insight into my professional life. Whenever I get a very um, complex request from a client, I literally an email respond challenging exclamation point, but fun. Exclamation yeah. Point. yeah. I mean, right. It's like, I, I, as we, you know, not being, I mean, you, you are a consultant to the industry, so you are kind of an insider and I'm, I'm completely on the outside here, but I'll, I will say, I look at a problem like this and I, I, I actually think the same thing, which is, wow, this is going to be hard. It's a puzzle. There's going to be many steps. It's complicated, but they got the pieces. And so it's not like, oh, this is a disaster. Let's just... You're not trying to do damage control. It is like a puzzle to solve. But like, I firmly believe that Disney has the pieces to solve the puzzle. They've just got to put it together. And again, challenging, but could be a lot of fun for the people involved. Absolutely. Jason, Jason and I get to say it's challenging, but fun um, um, exclamation point underlining the the fun because we (laughs) do not work for the Walt Disney Corporation and our jobs are not on the line so there's yeah. there's an element of like we get to just play a lot of fun platform chess yeah, uh, and so it's it's very fun but um yeah it's 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 i do i i there are elements of this which every other company is facing i work with many of the other companies mm-hmm. uh and it is um it's it's a challenging, scary time for a lot of people, yeah. but also it, like once we get through the this period of peak disruption, it'll be a moment to kind of say, you know, 30 years from now, when that moment was happening, I got to be involved in some capacity on figuring out the solution when right. we are deep in that problem. And so that's that's kind of the, 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 the thought I have about it. Again, not being tied to what is happening with the stock of my company exactly. based on the performance of my yeah. product. Exactly. Exactly right. This episode of Downstream is brought to you by Memberful. You know, 
um, running a business can be hard. <laughs> Let me take it from me. You're in charge of a lot of things, maybe things that you're not used to being in charge of, but you're running the business and it's charge of you. So you're in charge of it. That's how it works. Uh, you might have to look ahead. Make sure that business remains profitable long term. One way to diversify your revenue stream is to introduce a membership program. This is what I did. Memberful can help you do it. And that's what I used for, for my business, too. In fact, I have two memberful programs, three if you count Downstream Plus, four if you count Upgrade Plus. Oh, my God. I use Memberful a lot. Let me tell you about it. Memberful has everything you need to run a membership program, including a streamlined and powerful checkout, an easy-to-use member portal, transactional emails, a member management dashboard. Basically, if you think about it, um, you would have to build all that yourself, or you'd have to go and be part of somebody else's product. And if you're like me, you're like, well, no, I want to own the product. I want to be the product. This is the thing I'm building is my business. I don't want to be something inside someone else. I want it to be my thing. But then do I have to build all the credit card connections and all the emails and the customer service? And like, do I have to build a whole thing? And the answer is no, because that's what Memberful is. Memberful is the structure for your membership program that you can put into whatever business you're running. And that part of it is not something you have to build. They built it. It's already there. It works great. I was able to set it up in, I honestly, I, I deferred asking people for money for uh, six colors and the incomparable for like a year. It was just like, I know I need to do it. And I dreaded it and I dreaded it. And the moment that I said I would do it, it was up in a week. How, how is that possible? It's because it was memberful. Memberful made it possible. Um, and because it was so easy to integrate it into my websites. And as a result, I now have a stable income from memberships where people pay me monthly, annually. It comes in. It's a huge boost to my business because I had a previously an ad driven only business and it was not sufficient. And adding the membership piece has made it more sufficient. Memberful has tools to let you give your members stuff. It made it much easier for me to send them emails, to give them downloads, to give them special custom podcasts like Downstream Plus, which you should subscribe to, by the way. Anyway, it, it is all because I didn't have to build that stuff. Memberful just gave it to me. It, it just, I, I can't say enough about it. It will help you too. It will let you build the membership that is best suited to your audience. You can have custom branding, newsletters, podcasts, gift subscriptions. Apple Pay is supported. Free and paid trials, automatic referral discounts, and a whole lot more. And they've got a whole suite of analytics so that you can have an in-depth view of what is working, what is not working, where to double down. You may not be a marketer at heart either. They can help you with that. It seamlessly integrates with tools you already use, including MailChimp, WordPress, Stripe, Discord. Maybe you've heard of them and much more. And if you need them, their support team, which I have contacted on many occasions, they are so good and they will help you too. help you with simplifying your memberships, growing your revenue. They care about their customers and you will always have access to a real person. I have talked to several of those real human beings there. They are awesome. Check it out right now. See if it will work for you. You can get started with no credit card required by going to memberful.com slash downstream. It could be the next great move for your business. I'm so glad that I started working with them. Memberful.com slash downstream. Thank you to Memberful for supporting Downstream. Let's talk a little bit about a piece that you wrote in Puck about 
Uh, again, this is like a big picture kind of thing. The it was the Apple, the Amazon Apple Google streaming OS mega war. But yes. the idea here is okay. You got YouTube number one video rival to linear TV, uh, primary video player for kids, teens, and young adults. It's now getting into the NFL like YouTube, a real player. We don't we don't talk about it as much as we should probably on this show because YouTube is a little bit of a different beast. But also there is a finite amount of time you spend. Um, and then you, what you wrote about was really interesting. Is like think about platforms. Think about YouTube as a platform with that's owned by Google Alphabet. Yeah, you've got what Amazon's trying to do with Prime Video. You've got Apple on Apple TV. You might have something like a, like the Roku hardware, which is all that. But everybody is trying to like. Uh, there is on a level ab- above beyond the the individual services. There's the the platform, whether it's embedded in a TV or it's in a box or it's on your phone or it's on your computer, wherever it is, you see things like HBO Max left the channels ecosystem for Amazon and Apple, that reselling ecosystem where you can sort of subscribe inside their existing app. Max came back and reading your piece, I really started to think, you know, we focus a lot on the um these services but if you think about it it's a little like saying um we're we're talking about cable tv but what we're focused on is the channels and there's another story which is back behind that which is the bundles the the gatekeepers of the the technology that brings this to you and i i wanted to ask you you know is is the future of tv as a la carte is as it is now or are we really head, heading back into what i know some people have called the great rebundling where we end up watching as you know everybody is trying to put uh bundles back together and that the power of the the people who have platforms as gatekeepers in that what do you okay. think okay so i am obsessed with i've been thinking about nothing but two things for the past 12 months maybe 13 months one is that um, digital advertising is a house of cards, and <laughs> that's very scary. Yeah. And two, it's semi-related to this, this OEM conversation, right? This idea of if you look at the trajectory of advertising spend, if you look at the trajectory of consumer behavior, and if you look at the trajectory of needs for a lot of the OTT providers – the commonality is connected televisions. The commonality is who gets to own the gateway to TV and media in the living room. And right. part of the reason why I'm obsessed with this conversation, um, and the, the company that got left out of the headline, which I understand where um, my lovely puck editors were coming from, is that it's not as flashy. But the reason why I think this is a really big deal now is because of a uh, a product from Comcast and Charter called Zumo. Zumo. We had a Zumo item in our show notes for like a few months and we never got to it. But yeah, Zumo is the hilariously named XUMO. The it is a Comcast streaming box that it is actually giving, I think, to broadband customers who don't have TV with Comcast. They're like, that's okay. You don't need TV. Even though we're Comcast, you can have Zumo and stream with that. And the reason that Zumo, I think, is such a big deal is because what's made Comcast and Charter work for so long, and especially, and what will kind of continue work for them, is this idea of creating a triple threat bundle, right? A, a, A bundle of necessities. And so the necessities are broadband, wireless, and television. Television has become the weakest link of that. It used to be the most important part of it. Now it's the weakest part of it. And what we're seeing happen with, like, Disney and Charter 
It's this idea that, all right, we don't need to carry all your channels. Disney doesn't necessarily want to maintain all these channels. We really want to carry the ad-supported streaming service you have. So instead of giving customers access to channels, we're going to give them access to streaming platforms. But we're going to build it into a bundle of sorts that comes with their phone and comes with their internet. And the more that they stream, the more that they use, and the more that we create a, a priced bundle around it, the more opportunity that we have to then engage with advertisers, including the, the ad inventory that we take in subscription revenue that we may take from these OTTs. Now, most people would say, but why would the OTT companies agree to this? And you would be correct. And they did not for a very long time. They still do not. For uh, Netflix is not available in Google, in Google Play or uh, the iOS, uh, the App Store. You cannot get it there. You have to go to, you can download the app and then it brings you to, to uh, their, their website because you have to sign up through there because they don't want to give up to give that up. The, what we've learned in the last year is that most of these companies that are operating within the U.S. do not have the distribution or scale they need to compete with the Netflix. So where do you go? You go, like, what, which is what Max is. You go back to where there's an ecosystem, where the front page is controlled not by the OTTs, not by linear television anymore. It's controlled by the OSs. So it's controlled by Amazon. It's controlled by Google. It's controlled by Samsung is where people are then saying, okay, then how do I get to my app via here? And what the other advantage of this is that they get to say, well, what were you watching in those apps? Cool. Let me pull from there. Let me show you what you're watching across all these different uh, uh, services. So you don't even have to really think about what you want to watch. We're going to re- we're going to uh, um, uh, suggest some for you. Famously, Netflix is not part of Apple TV. You hear from a lot of Apple TV owners that they sometimes forget that there's Netflix shows because they don't see them because they're just not there. This is the big issue. The reason I talk about Google and Amazon so frequently is because I'm like, okay, if you can't offer wireless, you're not offering broadband. What are you offering to people? It's everything else. The example that I use to kind of look at how this could be is um, Amazon's publishing dominance, right? So they started by selling books on on Amazon Prime. You could go and buy a book. Then they bought, then they made Kindles, right? You can go and read the book on the Kindle and you can buy it via Prime. Then they bought Goodreads. They bought the site that people are going to to recommend books and get interested in books and talk about books. And they said, also, now it's a one-stop shop. You can come to Prime, download directly to your Kindle. Then they bought Comixology. They bought the other reading that the people were doing that was on Goodreads and they said, well, you want to get your comics? We've got this new Kindle. You can do it over there. It's great. And all of a sudden you are just everything you need is with is, is, is Amazon. It's one stop. Google is doing the exact same thing on the video front. Google is saying, what do you want to watch? You want to watch something really quick that you can kind of scroll through? That's YouTube shorts. You want to watch something that's a little bit more uh, laid back, but a little bit longer, maybe a, a, a deep dive into something. You want to learn You want to learn something? You're going to go to YouTube. But YouTube is also the second largest search engine followed uh, second only to Google, right? So if that now you're, now you're in a place where you're really reaching that niche audience. Okay, now we've got, a, we've got the niche audience. We've locked that and we've locked those niche advertisers in. Who do we not have? We don't have mainstream. We don't have the sports high impact, high volume audience. What are we going to do? We're going to get Sunday ticket. We're going to get now get into a world where we're going to have that relationship. And then we're going to tie it back to our operating system, Android software that is plugged into the CTV. We're going to be able to recommend all this to you. We're going to store your credit card information. It's going to be a one-stop shop. And this is a company that puts aside money for legal issues with the FTC because they're like, we're going to do this. They're also, if you look into the trajectory of advertising issues, they are one of the few companies, and that by the by they, I mean YouTube, 
specifically here, not not Google. We're going to get to that. YouTube specifically. They're one of the few companies that has a really strong relationship with advertisers when it comes to impact. Google, which generates the vast majority of its revenue from digital advertising, has an ad fraud problem. There are there there are are the 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 troll clicker is that they're not real. And now you've kind of if you listen closely to every alphabet earnings, you kind of hear them get away from this, right? They started introducing how much revenue ad revenue YouTube was pulling in. They started talking about all the other revenue that their other services are bringing in. They're looking at the premium revenue. They're basically saying we have other revenue sources that we're building up on top of our Google search. And if I'm Google, I'm slightly concerned. Same if I'm Meta about the fact that twenty five percent of my proje- of, of the projected annual revenue uh, or at, oh, sorry, spend of spend for advertising, 25% of that is going to be lost to fraud. And if I'm an advertiser, now I'm looking for other options within digital and video. So there's OTT, which is a really safe bet because you're just moving your traditional linear advertising spend to OTT. But then there's also, we want to be where the highest impact is, where there's a daily habit. And so that's the, that's the OS, that is the, the gateway into television. But that's just the gateway. Then you're in this Google-owned universe, in, in YouTube-owned universe, where your credit card's on file, you want to get your specific subscription, you go to primetime channels, you've got YouTube TV, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. That is what, when I talk to a lot of executives, and I ask them, you know, who's your biggest competitor if you're, if you're Netflix, and who's your biggest competitor? Is it, is, it, is it Disney Plus? And they go, no, it's probably TikTok and YouTube. And it's not just TikTok and YouTube. TikTok is TikTok. It's its own thing. YouTube is Google. It is it is a different ecosystem. It is a lot of money that they know how to spend in a way to kind of get to the point. The end game for Google might not be owning sports, right? Sunday ticket might be a very expensive experiment that they kind of know. The end game is getting to being the main distributor that ever the door that every customer has to go through to get the service that they want. And the Disney Charter deal was a massive moment for this. And this has been happening for a while, and I would think like mm, you know it's interesting, but whatever. Except for the fact that. Zumo is like the tie, and they're like, we we realize that we're going to lose out to the to the, the question of who distributes the content. The suppliers have figured out they can't necessarily do it on their own. Who distributes their content? It's either the carriers that have always been doing it, so the phone guys, the wireless guys, the the, the broadband guys, or it's the new tech giants who the entertainment companies are more scared of. Right. And so it's a very interesting situation that I think is happening in a more boring fashion compared to like the the colloquial streaming wars. But I think it's far more important and crucial to the conversation about what companies own what in the next 10 years. I don't know if you remember this, but the very first streaming box for Netflix back when it was called Netflix Instant Watch, what we now think of as Netflix, but at the time it was a weird video streaming add-on to your DVD subscription at Netflix, was the first piece of hardware that you could hook up to a TV and watch this stuff was called the Netflix Player. All it did was Netflix. And the way that worked was, I believe it was developed at Netflix and then they wanted a hardware partner because they didn't, it was kind of outside their area of expertise. And they got a hardware partner, which was this company that was making music streaming boxes kind of esoterically. And they're like, could you make this for us? And they said, sure. Well, that company was Roku. (laughs) And that box became the first Roku box eventually after it was the Netflix box. And I say all this history because it is an example of Netflix at the very start saying like we are the platform (laughs) this box what does it do it does netflix that's it and to grow netflix's streaming business of course netflix went 
everywhere and is embedded in everything. And yeah. remember, all the jokes are like, your refrigerator does Netflix and you know, everything does Netflix. But like, but it, it says something about platforms versus services that like yes. the job of a service is to be everywhere, right? Yeah. Even Apple, which we all think of as this proprietary hardware company that, that it's all about Apple's hardware. Even Apple, once they started getting into uh, reaching a certain level with their their services strategy, suddenly all of Apple stuff, people are like, oh, Apple's never going to be anywhere but on Apple hardware. It's like, oh, suddenly they're on Fire TVs and they're on Roku's and they're on uh, embedded uh, in TV sets. There's a TV, Apple TV app now because you got to be everywhere. Whereas the platform owners are, you know, they're not necessarily super uh, tough in what they do. Sometimes it's like the app store, right? Where it's like, just put an app in the app store and it's fine. Um, but they are still gatekeepers and they can still craft the experience for their customers. And you're just a service on someone else's experience. And that gives them power. That is a different kind of power than you get if you're Disney or Netflix. And it can be soft power or it can be uh, it, it can be more than that. And so, and, and there is part of the frontier of, of this world where it's going to be things like, look, your access to the internet comes from a cellular provider or a broadband provider. Yes. Who are they? Do they offer you a deal? Like I get my Macs through AT&T fiber because yeah. of partially because AT&T, you know, owned HBO at Max at that point and they don't anymore, but there's it's grandfathered in whatever. Anyway, I get it through them. I have a bundle essentially that includes Max in it and, and Charter has the bundle that includes Disney in it. And then AT&T used to, although they abandoned this, which is also fascinating, used to have yeah. a box they would sell you that would have like streaming TV on it. And they, they so AT&T is my portal into the rest of the internet and they are right there saying, hey, customer, we can bundle some stuff for you. Yeah. And 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 there's power in that. And like Netflix may not like it and 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 Disney may not like it, but like they're also not going to be broadband providers and they're not going to build their own offer operating systems and app platforms. And this, so this, yeah. This is my this is my thing. I think the term direct to consumer is misguided, right? I think <laughs> the term is 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 direct to platform. I, I like what you're saying. I yeah. think I, I literally yeah, I just direct wrote it down. To device, the idea but of, what device? It's, it's exactly. And and so the question that really comes up, this is where Comcast and Charter really need DirecTV to an extent, less of an extent, but really need to figure this out, right? Because the fourth biggest, or soon to be, I imagine, I'd have to look at Dish's most recent numbers, and we'd have to get numbers from Google. We don't have Google's numbers. I imagine YouTube TV is close to becoming the fourth largest MVPD, not just VMVPD. Yeah. And so that will be a huge moment. The, the, the advantage, and this is what Jason's saying, I use this term lovingly, and my colleague at, at Parrot, a guy named Brandon Katz, brilliant guy. He's our industry strategist. He said it in a better way, and I love it because it makes me sound less mean. He said that consumer journeys are like a lazy river. They want to get in. They want to be brought along, but they don't necessarily want to make any concrete decision. Their decision is that they want to watch something, and then they go from there, and I love that. And so I think the question of who controls that lazy river is everything. So to Jason's point, people love this aspect of bundles with their with their necessities. Their necessities are I need broadband and I need a wireless. And so Comcast and Charter said, okay, well, you we also need video. You're just not thinking about it. And so we're going to figure out a way to bring this to you and we're going to kind of recreate our, our three-pronged strategy business. 
So the question with Google and Amazon is like, what do people need? And if the need becomes, you know, I just need the easiest software and the easiest credit card storage and the most safe credit card storage. And I just need the easiest uh, uh, visibility into what I'm watching and have it all organized for me. And I'm making a decision. If that is the, the who, and then I need the easiest, you know, programmed into my television set. I got a Sony, I got an LG, whatever it is. I'm working with, you know, Fire OS or Android. That then becomes the necessity on the video side. And so I think it's a really interesting question of kind of who controls what. I think uh, the only other person more interested in this question than um, myself as someone who's been obsessed with this is uh, a woman named Lena Khan. I think she is also deeply obsessed as the chairwoman of the FTC Mm. of uh, what that looks like for Amazon and Google. A reminder that Amazon and Google have large sums of money set away for these things uh, because they know. They will be Google is literally in Congress right now <laughs> for uh, for monopolization on the search side of this equation. And so um, uh, which is a very fascinating case, but off topic. And so I think, yeah, it's it's something I've been thinking about. And it's less flashy than like Disney versus Netflix. But I think eventually it will be like, well, Disney and Netflix are within Google and Amazon and Apple. And then who wins right. that? Versus uh, Comcast and Charter. It, it's hard to pin down exact numbers, but it looks like um, YouTube TV is in the five plus million subscriber range. And yep. Dish Network at last report was somewhere in the six to seven million range. Yeah, it's close. They're so, close. So, you know, you're getting to the point of, of the satellite subscribers. They also have Sling. It's the same company yeah. um, with like three million. But it's like, yeah, this is all happening. It's funny. Um, so I cover Apple. That's my that's my job primary job is is writing about apple stuff and i will say um sometimes when we talk about apple in this context people are like yeah apple whatever and they're thinking about like apple tv or something but but here's the here's the thing um it's also ios right it's iphones and iphones are in the u.s especially are extremely popular which means that there is a very large market and that market is um the more affluent better demographic market as well and while Apple's level of control over that is not what it is with some of these other platforms, because they don't force you into their TV app, which is sort of like a meta app of all the content, theirs and others. They let those individual apps go on there. The fact is that that is an Apple experience and Apple views everybody who has an iPhone and an Apple TV and a Mac and an iPad as being an Apple customer first and foremost. And it's one of those things where, you know, it, it may not be... Um, on every TV, but the people who have Apple devices who are interacting with content are some of the most valuable people in the U.S. media market. And and yeah. it's that thing like, whoa, well, what could Apple do? How could Apple get in Netflix's way? Well, there are ways like Netflix's gaming initiative, which they've worked it out, but it, it's not a given that like you subscribe to Netflix, you get games that you can download in the app store. There's a whole lot of complexity in order to, uh, for Apple to let you do that if you're Netflix. Um, and, and Netflix can't ask for you to pay for Netflix on those devices directly right. because of Apple's rules. So it's one of these examples where it's all do a you little... know where I think that will change. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. No, you know, because because I Jason brings up. So the, the thing is, they can't get you, you cannot sign up for Netflix within um, uh, the app store. Do right. you know where, what, when I think that will change? When Netflix makes a real strong play into the mobile gaming market and they need to micro payments. I think that is their moment where they're like, if I'm right. Apple, I'm like, sure, do that. 
we want to be able to sell Netflix subscriptions. Like, and I think that trade-off, especially if I'm Netflix, like you've hit kind of saturated within the US, right? Like globally, it's a much bigger question. Well, you put the in-app like, purchase into the games, but not into the video. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's right. It's, it's this weird thing where I think that's going to be a huge thing right. as as netflix per really invests in its in its mobile gaming i, I think i've been thinking about this so I the challenge with and this is so i'm glad we've 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 talked about this a little and i'm sure we're going to come back to this topic in the future but like the challenge in, in talking about it is talking about disney versus uh netflix is like talking about hertz versus avis it's like talking you know about about anything about coke versus pepsi it is it is like like versus like i know they're not exactly like but they're real close but when you start talking about youtube and amazon prime and apple and uh uh you know comcast as a not as a content provider but as a broadband gateway it it starts to be mix and match right it starts to be that you're comparing um grapes with clouds <laughs> like those things aren't comparable in any way it's like yeah you see that's the problem and that makes it really hard for us to talk about it because everybody's playing a little bit of a different game but they all are part of the power structure that is being kind of like shuffled around here uh, julia i think we're back to challenging but fun again <laughs> yeah that's just that's just what our podcast new tagline about it's just challenging but fun um before we go i wanted to ask you about napoleon um because you saw the movie napoleon and uh you're into napoleon as a subject uh, and you were tweeting about how you think it's sort of like there's some hurdles here, but it's actually maybe exactly what Apple TV Plus needs. And I was just wondering if you could give us a little, you know, your thoughts about Napoleon as a movie, but also like where it fits maybe into what Apple could use. Because this is an Apple thing, like Killers of the Flower Moon. It's another one of these movies that is going to be in theaters and then it's going to be an Apple TV uh, joint. They're They're producing them and they're going to go straight to Apple TV after they're in theaters. Yes. So I was very lucky to see an early screening of Napoleon. Um, I am a Napoleon buff. I'm a diehard student of Napoleon history. Yep. Um, and so therefore, I was the t person that Ridley Scott meanly called out in his New Yorker profile uh, and that, uh, you know, get a life. But um, so the thing about that movie is it's glorious to see on screen. It's like, like in terms of I'm, I'm not a critic, but I, I gave it like a 7.5. Like it's fun. It's actually really funny. And so it, it's it's like a it's a fun romp. It's a Ridley Scott movie. Um, the it's gorgeous in terms of the battles, right? It's Ridley Scott, so you want to see it on a big screen. But because of what they have to do to get it to work for a theatrical going audience, right? To kind of keep it within a certain limit, they rush through a lot of the battles and they rush through a lot of like uh, of the historical stuff. So they don't really spend a lot of time in Egypt. They don't spend any time in Italy or Spain, right? So all of these aspects of his life uh, uh that were very important to his reign they kind of go through and so when the extended cut comes to apple tv plus i think there's going to be a group of people who are interested in napoleon napoleonic history but also i think just average film goers who will feel that rush and kind of feel that being rushed and say like oh i wonder what the extended looks mm. like i think there's also an opportunity for miniseries which i think actually hbo is doing one but like to, to kind of build off of it so there's 
an opportunity. The way I was thinking about this with Apple TV Plus is like you can get almost double engagement from some, not 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 all, but some audiences that I think you could then take that increased engagement. The fact that they're opening that up maybe twice as opposed to once to then plan some of your uh, of your launches around to really hammer home and, and to kind of collect some of that data. So it was just one of those movies where. It's so rare that you, I don't know if this is true for you, Jason. It's so rare for me that I'm like, oh, I really need the director's cut. Like I need the extended edition of right. this three hour movie. But this was one where I was like, oh, actually, I'm, I'm curious to check it out on Apple TV plus again as soon as we saw it in theaters, um, and see what that extended version looks like. And I, and I'm interested to see how that type of viewership plays out for the streaming platform versus, um, theatrical and especially for those who skip the theatrical to watch it on TV plus. Right. It's, you know, I, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis movie, I would have taken a longer version of a very long movie because I felt like there was stuff in there that he alighted that was like, oh, I would have loved to see his take on Elvis in the Army. And it's like, nope, we're not going to talk about Elvis in the Army. I'm like, all right, okay, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I would take, I would take more Elvis here. But, uh, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how, um, it's funny, Killers of the Flower Moon is just long and it's going to be long everywhere. But Napoleon, yes. there's like the shorter, somewhat shorter version and then the super mega version that's going to be on TV+. Plus. I do wonder if there's a an aspect of it, which is, did you like this? Because there's more of it on streaming. And I, I wonder if there'll be, I mean, leaving the, the, the longer versions aside, I wonder if we'll see more experimentation, uh, especially among those who are still experimenting with theaters about a, a, a kind of a combination where you're buying a product that goes in theaters and then like an ancillary product that is streaming only. So it's like, not only is there Napoleon, just, I mean, this is not the case, but just as an example, but when it hits the streamer a month later, there's also like another 90 minute thing that's like from the world of Napoleon with same actors, maybe a different director, but same writers. Like, I wonder how much, you know, you might be able to do some experimentation with something that's not like a TV show, but is like an additional product for the people who liked the first product. I don't know. I mean, the, the, there are, is a level of experimentation possible now that was not possible before. Yes. Um, exactly. And, it might, and I'm might excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I want to see, I haven't gotten to see Killers of the Flower Moon either, either. And I'm curious about that too. I think these are going to be two movies that people are going to be talking about in awards season, which is, you know, works as intended. That's what Apple wants. That's why Apple is playing these games. But it would be, you know, the, the real coup for Apple is to have one of their, one of their movies get, you know, really great word of mouth and people want to see it and then they miss it in theaters and it drives people to Apple TV plus it's there's they're trying to get that moment they're trying to have that that special moment and then take advantage of it exactly yeah and and actually thing i've learned from you is you shouldn't just put napoleon on there right like you should have a strategy for content that they've got on the service or that they can license that will be something you could offer to people after they've watched Napoleon, right? That's, that should be part of your strategy whenever you do this. I mean, they may have like a Ridley Scott collection that they've licensed because they actually have done some of that with licensed content. But I'm, one, I'm wondering what their uh, extended strategy is for after you finish Napoleon on TV+. Plus. What do they push to you then? Is it like Slow Horses or is it um, <laughs> some other release? Is it, is it Gladiator? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm glad you liked it though. Good to hear. Yeah, it's it's I I'm in my my pre-Oscar movie marathon. I saw mm. four movies. Oh, I'm seeing four movies this week, including 
after we finish recording this, I've got it. I'm going to go see Saltburn, which I'm excited about. I saw Iron Claw this week, which is great. Bleak, but great. Um, and yeah, that was one of the few ones, though, where I was thinking about it from a streaming standpoint, because the rest of them are not like right. they will end up on streaming services. Of course. But this one is designed both for theaters, but also like it's as a, a streaming it's, it's play. Apple, like Apple it's, Presents, right? Like it's yes. literally Apple Films Presents Napoleon. So they're right in there. Okay, before we go, a couple quick letters. One from Keith uh, from the A47. Shout out. Good job. Uh, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Before launch, articles predicted it was going to bomb because of the day and date with Peacock. But in two weeks, it's earned $100 million domestically, $200 million globally. For a movie with a $20 million budget, this is phenomenal. Online blames the week two drop on Peacock availability. I'm more interested in what are the lessons the studios are going to take from the whole Five Nights at Freddy's thing? This is such an important question. So I think the, the takeaway they're going to have from it is um, to do more gaming movies that are also targeted at kind of young boys young men um and to kind of lean into that genre i think the takeaway i I wrote about this uh puck the takeaway from it should be that the youtube audience like like no one was anyone who has come up within youtube and tumblr culture was not surprised by that number i think what it really showcased was like you need to take that YouTube audience seriously as opposed to just and, – and I don't mean taking, like, YouTube commentary seriously. But I I think the idea of there were, build, like, like tens of millions of views on these videos for years. Then there was an engagement. There was an audience. And so really tapping into that YouTube audience, like, what do they do with that Minecraft movie coming out, right? Like, how do they really parlay to this audience, play to that audience while also just trying to create a film that's entertaining, which this one seemed to miss the mark on based on reviews I read? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the takeaway for me. It was like the same way that we're looking to gaming adaptations now is like, how do we move this forward the way we did comic book adaptations? Like that YouTube audience is so crucial to those conversations. And for a while, they've just been like, oh, that's an audience. And we don't really know how to tap into them and study them. And now it should be like, how do we engage that audience and get them out to theaters while also getting them into our streaming platforms for that um, uh, kind of second or third viewing right. option. I, so yeah, I think not- that's... Not every audience is going to be scared away from theaters by the fact that it's on streaming, right? Like some audiences, some content, um, people are going to want to go to theater and see it. I think that that's part of the lesson here, too, is that, yeah, maybe some of the drop off is due to Peacock. But there's also advantages to we talked about it before. It doesn't just happen when they're simultaneous. It also just happens when they're staggered. But the idea is you market a film once. That marketing works for the theater. It also works for when it goes to streaming and if you're marketing it and it's on both you're marketing it for both at the same time and you save i mean your your marketing is more effective that way because not everybody can go out to the theater i don't know exactly you, you can you can make you can make box office and still be in a, a streaming service if it's the right fit right i mean we could talk about marvel and star wars and how maybe um their strategy has backfired but um at least in this particular case it, it seems to have worked just yeah. fine Okay, one last letter. This is from Brant's, and it's just more of a, a link, but I appreciate Brant's uh, sending it along. Um, Echo, a forthcoming Marvel mm-hmm. show that's actually a spinoff of the Hawkeye show, uh, but also related to sort of the Daredevil shows on Netflix back, back in the day. Um, Echo is going to be on Disney Plus and Hulu. Now, it's a it's a mature audiences. It's got more violence and all of that. But um, interesting move. Do you have a quick read on on the experiment of putting a Marvel show on Hulu? 
I think the fact that it's mature. Yeah. I think it, it, that's my big read on it. One, it's it, why not use Hulu? Like, I always thought that was weird that they, well, I guess not weird. Like, they want to pull as many people as they can to Disney+. Plus. I think what we've talked about on this, on this podcast is, like, they've kind of hit their saturation with that mm-hmm. audience. They're not going to grow that audience. So why not at least try to widen the distribution of the show to try and grow that audience a little bit more? And I think Echo is the most um, adult. It feels... Based on looks, I haven't seen any of it. It, uh, it feels like the most Netflixy of the Marvel shows, uh, and really leaning yeah. into that kind of adult category. It feels the least tied to knowing Marvel knowledge, and so I think there's kind of like let's make a broader play. I was going to say the other show that they could have tried this with that I think maybe now they would tr- have tried it with is Moon Knight with Oscar Isaac, which yes. it had essentially he's a Marvel character, but he had no ties to. You didn't need to know any other Marvel anything, and I. I kind of like that show. And I wonder if in a Hulu context, it might have had more viewers. I also have to wonder, um, thinking about Moon Knight, thinking about maybe some other content from um, from Marvel, if there isn't some stuff in the Marvel catalog at Disney Plus that might be worth putting on Hulu, right? Like, take some of that content... Like the, I, I know that like the, like the Daredevil stuff from Netflix and all of that, all that stuff is going to be on Disney plus, but maybe some of that should be on Hulu. Maybe it should, it would, it would be a good, if it's a good fit for a, an adult audience that is not as deep down in Marvel, can you find another audience who may go see Marvel movies, but they're not going to pay for, for Disney plus necessarily and expose them to some of this stuff. So I guess this is experiment number one here which is they're gonna do it with i expect they'll do much more of it which also i believe is dropping all at once and not weekly which is an interesting experiment too so they're trying stuff yeah they're they're trying stuff all right if you have a question for us go to downstreamfeedback.com love to your mothers we love hearing from you Uh, and if you haven't yet please consider subscribing to downstream plus this was a full-sized episode was it ever for everybody but the only way to hear the complete version of our previous episode and our next episode is to be a subscriber go to downstream.plus to subscribe and support the show directly you can find director of strategy julia at parrotanalytics.com and puck.news you can find me at sixcolors.com and i appear on many other podcasts at relay fm and the incomparable.com but we've reached the end for two weeks until next time julia say goodbye have a happy thanksgiving jason Thank have you. a great one happy thanksgiving to you too bye everybody bye everyone